Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, how do we, man? There's no way that Gargi's signing for the tune. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox. And this week we're joined by a guest co-host. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sandra Janssen. Sandra is a oh, sociolinguist. I wasn't ready for that word. Um, <laughs> that's crept up on me, that. You've got to leave that in. That's, that's amazing. That's great. Sandra is a sociolinguist and a runner with an interest in dialects of English, as well as being a listener of the show since early days. Here we are at episode 44, and we are delighted to have you join us today. How are you, Sandra? Uh, thank you for having me. How about you, Simon? What's going on? Everything's good. Everything's sound. It's a beautiful, crisp day here. I know you tell me off for talking about the weather, but it is so nice here that I kind of have to. <laughs> yeah, it's the most British thing in the world to do. It's like everyone does it. Every, all the guests have done it. Everyone's had a bit of a like weather chart. It's social group forming. That's what it is. Exactly. We're talking with the Brits. We need to brush up on our weather yeah. chat. I uh, tend to do that with Brits usually as well. Not with Germans so much. Germans do like to talk to us about the weather, though, in English. <laughs> That's what we learn in school. Anyway, because you said it's crisp, mo- crisp morning. Crisp. It is. I've just been outside and had a cup of tea on the patio, mm-hmm. checking out the fish. And yeah, everything's good. Took care of the garden yesterday as well, so... Can't get enough of this garden, malarkey. It can't get enough of me, to be fair. Like, it's just <laughs> constantly setting me traps and tasks. If it would just chill out, I'd really appreciate it. But it's going to demand being mown on a weekly uh, schedule, so I've just got to live with that, I guess. Yeah, I managed to avoid doing any housework, basically, which I, yeah, my wife's not entirely happy about, but I'm pretty chuffed about. <laughs> but I went to, I w- I've been going on like mini adventures around Bavaria, so I went to Erlangen last week for a night out, and then I went and met some people in Nuremberg, because a mutual friend of, of Simon and ours is, is leaving, so I went for dinner with him, drove back really early doors on Saturday, and yeah, so I've just managed to avoid all housework and have two very profound hangovers as well so that's that's where i'm at i did a cocktail saturday again yesterday this yeah. explains why you were struggling reading the opening paragraph yeah my eyes were like properly defocusing they were like still going like nick you can read this bit no you can't Ooh. is it a stroke or is it a hangover no it was like negronis man which brings us to a sort of question, right? I mean, have you guys any cocktail proficiency? I've no skills when it comes to cocktails, but yeah, I worked in pubs for a long time and made quite a few cocktails. Yeah. So a Negroni, by my understanding, when I googled it to find out what the ingredients were, and I was delighted to find there was only three ingredients, mm-hmm. which was gin, Campari, and vermouth. Right, sweet vermouth. Yeah. Am I wrong in thinking that they've made Campari just to taste like earwax? Now, that obviously leads to follow-up questions, but let's deal with those later. But, like, it tastes like earwax. It tastes like like it shouldn't be drank by people. Like, it's a disgusting drink, as far as I'm concerned. It's just minging. I, th- I don't think that Campari as a company would agree with the sentiment at all. I think I think they would describe it as, like, orange peel, some, some clove uh, is, I think, in there. I think that's the part that I don't like about it. And cinnamon as well. I don't like cinnamon and alcohol. I, I do, I, I sympathise that Campari is not necessarily the nicest element, but Negronis are wonderful with them, so stop complaining. I'm not entirely sure that's true. I got a feeling like these cocktails have been designed by people with no taste, but... Or else I'm just really supremely awful at making cocktails, which I don't believe I am because I make some pretty good cocktails. But the Negroni just tasted really wrong in all levels. Well, I mean, you have the issue with Negroni being it's a real classic uh, American cocktail. And a lot of these classic American cocktails originate from the time of Prohibition or close to it and so a lot of these cocktails were designed to take the edge off homemade or really really poor 
quality alcohol right. so that's why campari is popular because it cuts through bad gin yeah so these kinds of bitters are very very good to take away cheap bad alcohol look at simon dropping the cocktail yeah. knowledge like it's no one's business i do need to now check if it was an american cocktail originally i think it is i get sandra's opinion on cocktails you've never been a, a cocktail aficionado oh uh, i've i've had some but uh, i'd <laughs> rather go <laughs> for a gin and tonic than anything else <laughs> but more of a purist yeah but that's a solid choice oh here we go simon's back with the knowledge oh, it's italian of course it's italian for fuck's sake he's called negroni i i feel I, I feel like i've kind of vindicated myself here google has revealed to me that it was invented in florence uh in 1919 so mm. it's only 100 years old uh, by count camillo negroni so he put his own name on it but it's actually a version of another classic cocktail the americano <laughs> See, uh, right so yeah i like it it all i do feel like that was together. a solid a solid drop of fact. <laughs> the New York Times called it the perfect cocktail as well. So you're flying in the face of a big editorial team that know their stuff, Nick. How dare you? Uh, yeah, it's it's an American editorial, right? So that's that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Sandra coming in swinging against the Americans. Yeah, they're just straight out the gates, dropping down bombs. <laughs> M- making making friends already. <laughs> So I guess one of the big news stories that's relevant to to Nick more than myself this week is that his beloved football club, Newcastle United, has now been taken over after years of threats of this happening and Mike Ashley finally getting the boots. Uh, so you've lost dickhead of an owner and now you're owned by a Middle Eastern sovereign state. So how does it feel, Nick? <laughs> I don't know how, how to feel about it. I think it's good in a lot of ways. There's the real benefit is to the area that needs investment. It's, it's such a it's such a complicated thing. It's more complex than just questionable investment fund buys Northeastern Football Club. It's to do with like the fact that the area is really deprived. Government hasn't really given a shit about it for for ten years. It's had austerity, food banks, NHS deinvestment, all of that stuff. So and they've already talked about investing hundreds of millions in the RVI, which is the Royal Victorian Infirmary, I believe it is, which is in the centre of the city. And so things like that to local people is obviously massive and so there's the, the social side of it football inside well i think i said to you simon via a text earlier this week that i might live to see england win the world cup and newcastle win the premier league which would be rather insane so in a football perspective it's obviously very exciting but in an ethical perspective i think it's awful in all ways possible yeah. and it's just an indictment of football and an indictment of like the situation what i hate is the amount of football mm-hmm. football journalists who are clutching their pills and going oh isn't it terrible it's terrible this murderous regime has taken over this football club and you're like well, have you not been watching football <laughs> that's the only thing we're going to start questioning you're like you've got man city you're owned by questionable people there's all these different clubs that are owned by questionable people but yeah i mean when Ab- abramovich came in at chelsea there was a lot of negativity mm. um mansoor man city a lot of negativity in the press um and yeah i mean there is this this fear that it's going to take away something from the league by being owned by a state it's so bullshit though that argument it's like it's the league's a piss take anyway and everyone mm-hmm. everyone buys the league like so it's a bit like why now why is this the straw that breaks the camel's back i mean they're talking about having a world cup every two years 
They were mm. talking about Super League last year. Like, football has a problem, full stop. It's not just this one incident. It's really not for football fans to be held accountable for regimes that politicians don't aren't even held accountable for. I do think it kind of opens the door, though, to a sort of supremacy where I feel a little bit better about my club being owned by a billionaire based in the Bahamas. Yeah, of course. Like that, that stuff, I feel slightly better about him now because he's not <laughs> he's not obviously criminal. It's a kind of discussion <laughs> social media will fucking love. Yeah. It's exactly that discussion because there'll be people who are like, oh yeah, I feel so I feel so good in my tummy because <laughs> I'm I've got the moral high ground. Shine a light on, on the atrocities, but I, I think at the same time, don't expect the average football fan to be particularly nuanced when it comes to arms deals between na- nations or like human rights or stuff like that. I mean, honestly, and I think that's the truth, is a lot of football fans are more willing to protest things happening at the football club than they are to protest the actual problems that they have day to day. I don't think, I think the average football fan has a very different perspective on the world. And I just think, well, well, asking them about what they think about Saudi Arabia and human rights abuses, you might as well ask them about what the atmosphere is like on Mars. Like, it's so far removed from and and it's not, it's not an insult to them. I just think it's the reality. It is. When I saw footage of it being potentially announced at the stadium and there were hundreds of Geordies like, dancing mm. and partying because they, for them, Ashley is over and now they're the richest club on the planet. A lot of the fans were just saying they just want to celebrate Ashley not mm-hmm. being there. It's hard to describe really in terms, especially to a German audience, what, what it's like at Newcastle because I don't think there's very few clubs in the Bundesliga that aren't or cities in the Bundesliga that have that regional identity plus as a one-club city and has like the sort of background. Schalke's the closest, I, I, guess, I think. I think yeah. Schalke, Schalke, but then Schalke obviously has D- Dortmund as a main rival, but like there's that similar... I always think of Schalke and, and or Dortmund as examples of sort of what would be a northeastern team. I'd imagine they have the same sort of background and ideas. And the factory teams don't so much now because they're more owned by the companies. Didn't you say before that Gelsenkirchen is twinned with Newcastle upon time? Yeah, Schal- I think yeah. Schalke is a, 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 a Freundschaft, Mannschaft or something like that. I can't remember <laughs> what the name is. It like It's like friendly team yeah. or something. I don't know what it is. It's all-encompassing for a lot of people. And the fact that even when they were in the worst places over the last 14 years they've still had regularly sort of between 45 and 50,000 people going to mm. watch them every every weekend or every match every home game at least and they had like I think the highest attendance for away games in the championship and stuff it's, it's, it's a real it's a real part of the city and the the, the, the stadium's in the center of the mm. city so it, when they talk about football and heartbeat I think as, as far as fans go in the Premier League Newcastle fans spend more on merchandise and kits than any other club in the UK so they have bought into one of the most sort of avid fan bases and as you say, it's going to be really good for for the area. I did just see one interesting comment on Twitter where someone pointed out that Saudi Arabia and Newcastle mm. are like the polar opposites of the scale of how women should dress in public. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's definitely true, yes. <laughs> it's renowned for the stilettos and miniskirts and blokes wearing skin-tight t-shirts. That's a very on-point stereotype, if ever you saw one. If you went in the big market, that's what you'd see. I can recall the first time you blew our minds on Twitter, Sandra. I had publicly, nonetheless, lambasted Nick for a pronunciation issue in, in quote marks. I'll put that there. And you kindly pointed out that it's called a glottal stop. And to top it off, that I was also doing it at the same time. Um, 
So, what is a glottal stop in phonetics? And is this something that we should be trying to avoid doing? Can, can I add a, se a second question? And like, how do you say gl glottal stop? How do you say it? <laughs> or do you say it with a glottal stop or do you say so, it with a glottal <laughs> So, I would say it with um, say. what we call an alveolar stop. <laughs> I'm blowing minds again. So I would say glottal stop because as a German, we don't really um, learn that sound in school. But yeah, a glottal mm. stop is sound that is produced in the back of the throat okay. in what we call the glottus. And it's something that I think most British people use nowadays to some extent. So language varies all the time. And the glottal stop is kind of a success story in British pronunciation. So linguists have talked about this quite a bit over the last few years. So um, we have London and Edinburgh as apparent centers where, where this started in the 19th century. And we can see how it moved across the country. So in my research on Cumbria, I have people using the glottal stop all the time. As I said, Nick is using it. He's using it a bit different from Simon because it's uh, Newcastle is special when it comes to pronunciation. <laughs> Newcastle is special. I knew it was special. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, Newcastle is very special when it comes to linguistics because it's a regional center and it's fairly isolated with from surrounding areas. But then to Sunderland, there is some kind of marking the difference again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Newcastle has retained some things that have gone in other areas. You hear about the survey on, on English dialects a few years ago. There was this thing about um, splinter, which like everywhere in England, people mm. would use splinter, but Newcastle was still using some other word I can't remember. Scalf. Might be that. I think it's scalf. <laughs> but it's, so that is something that's retained, whereas Everywhere else in the country, this kind of standard word has succeeded. And then with pronunciation, you have still, you know, you say bath and divna is a very Divinai. prominent one. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you will talk about that a bit later. Yeah, yeah, the glottal stop is uh, something that we find basically everywhere. And um, when William and Kate gave their engagement interview linguists were listening very closely because they're using it as well or at least william is using it i think kate not so much it's also um it has to do with the position in the word so in if we have the word water and people say water i think it sounds really stupid to to british people when i say it but it it sticks out more than if you say bit of or uh, if you mm -hmm. have a word which finishes with a T and then starts with another consonant, there it doesn't really mm -hmm. stick out so much. But if you have, have it in, in the middle of the word, so with the intervocalic uh, glottal stop, that, that sticks out quite a bit. Speaking of the intervocalic glottal stop, look at that. <laughs> well <Fucking> done. Skills, dude. <laughs> He's awake. I'm awake, baby. I've had some coffee. Um, why don't we move on to this list of different versions of the use of, of the letter T, really, isn't it? But you, obviously, Simon, introduce it better than I did, please. Yeah, so I, I picked a list of, of examples for our listeners to, to hear the glottal stop and the difference between my glottal stop and Nick's glottal stop. I'm going to try and say it correctly every now and again. So, Nick, I've got a question. You just give me the answer. So what would you like to drink? 
Bottle of water. Bottle of water. Yeah, can I can I just say um, Nick just <laughs> Nick just didn't use the glottal stop in water, but more of a like American sounding sound there. It's not uncommon. Uh, it it happens as well. So, um, but if but if, I, if I changed it to, to bottle of water, that would be <laughs> that, would, that would make it even, even no. that, that would that would shift it to the to the Geordie, surely. So. The the uh, thing is the production of the sound. So you do it with mm. the tip of the tongue right behind the teeth. And uh, if it's a glottal stop, it's like the tongue kind of goes to the back or the tongue doesn't even move, but it's in, in the glottis. So um, it, it's not about hearing it so much right now. It's mm. about the production. And if you do it like in the front behind the teeth, then it's it sounds more American. Or to me, at least, it's not the glottal stop. Then no, no, that's. I mean, that's interesting. That's really interesting. I'm already thinking. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop watching Netflix now. <laughs> I'm canceling my Netflix account and my Disney Plus account, and I'm only gonna watch shows produced in the northeast from now. Jordy Shaw. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Ugh. Uh, yeah. So how about Simon? What about your pronunciation? If I just ordered, I say bottle of water. Bottle of water. Like there's basically very few consonants left in there now. But if I'm with my mum, I'd say I'd like a bottle of water, please. Um, <laughs> so I, I I can do it. It's just I mean we've spoken about this before that as someone from my background in, in the south of England, mm. where I'm sort of upset about how middle class I am, I will shift my pronunciation very very quickly to be more South London sort of edges of Cockney. Because that makes me sound like I've got some sort of like integrity down south. So yes, yeah, bottle of water. The Americans always get a kick out of that one, I guess. Yeah. The thing is, you say there are no consonants, but um, phoneticians would say there are consonants. So the mm-hmm. glottal stop is a consonant, right? We we differ- differentiate between letter and okay. uh, sound, and if you think about British ri- or English writing, it often doesn't really fit the pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we have uh, water, the R is not pronounced as R, mm. right? So, okay. um, or uh, weak, where we have a double E, double e it's not wake, mm. right? So the, the writing really differs from the pronunciation mm-hmm. in many cases. So um, phoneticians look at the sounds, not so much mm. the letters. Of course, this is a very problematic thing for people learning English. So many times mm. we've been like, this yes. is the word, and they're like, but it's written like that. And it's like, yeah, sorry, like our vowels are just insane in comparison to German ones. Yeah. So Nick, what's your nationality? British. British. British, exactly. It's not the correct answer today, but what day of the week is it? If it's after Monday. Tuesday. 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 Chew. <laughs> this is not a glottal stop at all. So at the beginning oh. of the word, you never get a glottal stop. This is um, what we call... Uh, now I have to think. Is it a dark tea? Uh, a, pal- a palatalized tea. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Getting my dictionary out again. <laughs> it's more like chew, isn't it? It's not, it's not Tuesday. It's Tuesday. So let's switch to German and do Wednesday, and then it's Mittwoch. Mittwoch. There's like no T's in there. And then every German's just going, what the fuck is he saying? Mittwoch. <laughs> well, we'll stay with German for the next one. Uh, what is the English word for the German Buchstäblich? Literally. Oh, you worked hard on yeah, that. Yeah, I'm trying to pronounce it, but actually, it. I think if I was going to say it, just if you're in passing, it would be literally. How how does that make you feel, Sandra? Does that make you 
feeling that British people are just lazy with this one. <laughs> no, not at all. I'm excited about every kind of variation that there is. Um, it gives me a job, right? So <laughs> I'm happy about that. Quality. Okay, Nick, next one is, what is Spider-Man's real name? How much stink do you want me to put on this? I'll put a lot of Geordie stink on this because this sounds so good in Geordie. <laughs> Peter Parker? <laughs> But I would say in my normal voice, I'd just say Peter Parker. Yeah, it sounds better with stink on it for sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, here Nick has a glottal stop where mm. uh, Simon doesn't. Because in Parker, uh, Nick does a glottal stop before the K, mm. before the K, which Simon doesn't have. And that's northeastern. Oh, look at you with your extra glottal stops up north. Yeah, I don't know why I feel dead proud about that. That's a very weird thing to be proud. I like, I have no national pride, but when you tell us I'm doing some kind of very Geordie thing, I'm like, oh, look at me, look at me, ma. Uh, right, all right, let's see the next okay, one. Okay, what does BLM stand for? Black Lives Matter. It's lovely. Uh, what was your best subject at school? This is so not my best subject at school. That's just like utter bullshit. It's like my worst subject. Okay, what was your worst subject at school? <laughs> Thanks, that's a better question. Ma- mathematics? Yeah, so I, I say mathematics. Yeah, it's, uh, the E disappears for me, mathematics. That's that's very common as well to have what we would call unstressed syllables sy- syllables uh, disappearing. So in uh, strawberry, Americans would say strawberry. Um, how would you say it? Strawberry. Strawberry. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that just disappears. It's quite common. Excellent, excellent. And the final one for for you, Nick, here. Who is the most famous boy wizard? The stink, please. I don't know how I'm trying to think of how you would do it. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> but I would say, I feel, I, feel like, I feel like I'm letting down my people here. I would say Harry Potter. Yeah, I'd I take off the H, so it'd be Harry Potter. Harry Potter. If, like, if I was speaking normally, Harry Potter. So that's very uh, Newcastle as well, to keep oh. the H. Um, Newcastle is, or the northeast, is the only area where um, there is no what we call age dropping. Wow! So That's fascinating. The northeasterners are very posh when it comes to age. Got, but, got uh, for the, for the monarchy. <laughs> you know, that's what it is. He's a prince, god damn it! Still is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my days! Linguists lament slang ban in London school. Uh, this is an article from The Guardian. They are covering this exclusive story where words like like, bear, that's long, and cut eyes at me are being used in pupils' work and now being vetoed in the classroom. So we specifically saved this article. I think this is two weeks old now, but we saved it for when Sandra was going to be with us because she's an expert on this thing compared to us especially. This is a secondary school in London, in South London, trying to stop its pupils from using basically at the beginning of a sentence and deploying phrases such as, oh my days, and this is a crackdown on fillers and slang in the classroom. So, Sandra, the first question is, is this an issue at all? It is. I'm not sure whether people were following the uh, comments by the linguists that are on Twitter and and, uh, work on these issues, but most, well, basically everybody said that this is something really problematic. Banning language is never a good idea because um, what we really want is to uh, for the students to learn the variation and when to use what just just banning certain things will prevent that uh, in in many ways words like like or mm-hmm. bear are used in 
by by people um, all the For time. Sure. And Simon, you said that you try to be South London. So we we talk about street credibility when we when we talk about something like that. And and that's that's the mm. thing the the, the students um, want that as well. They don't. Not everybody is growing up to be an academic, right? So what we want is to for them to learn to use variation. So use certain styles in certain situations and other styles in other situations. That's what we do basically in everyday life anyway. basically, oh no. <gasps> no. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking with the word basically, it's quite... If you think especially with football and f football managers being interviewed and footballers being interviewed, there's a very particular style in the media and you have them start sentences with quite weird beginnings. Like a lot of them will start with the word listen, which I find quite aggressive. But listen, you know, whoa, okay, chill out. Like, come on. And and basically is another word that you definitely hear, hear them, like a football interview. But like in Oh My Days, definitely I've heard that through football because it's like the YouTube sort of football commentary and stuff like that. People would be like, oh my days, what a goal. It's quite like normal speech. I find it quite interesting that they're, they're going after it in, in such a, such a fashion. But it's quite common, it's happened all the time. It's always happened, right? Yeah, and so uh, language is basically a power play, right? So um, if you have people um, banning things, the people who ban it are the ones in power mm -hmm. and uh, just want to weaken certain groups in one way or another. So this is what is happening here. Mm -hmm. uh, it often happens with uh, young women. So young women are very often criticized for using like or for using <laughs> what we call a vocal fry. Um, I, yeah, yeah, I've heard about, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can't yeah. really, so I can do it when I'm not focusing on it, so I can't do it now. But uh, if you listen to Kim Kardashian, she does it all the time. This American Life did a really good episode on vocal mm. fry, and it's mm. it's that, it's like a hang-on sound that, that comes from, from, from certain sentences. I've always associated it with like California, kind of like a Californian drawl kind of thing. I never thought of it as... I never even thought about it until I heard that episode and people it said that people have been complaining quite voiceously about it. Yeah. I was quite surprised because I just thought, oh, it's dialect or it's accent or something. The quotative be like, so I was like, oh my God. But also the vocal fry seemed mm -hmm. to have started in, in California. So um, what we call Valley Girl style. But it has spread so much. So mm -hmm. British mm -hmm. people use I was like all the time nowadays. And I hear vocal mm -hmm. fry quite a bit as well. And I hear mm. vocal fry from my German it's students really um, without them knowing what they're doing. <laughs> so ARC All Saints Academy, in, uh, a school in South London, or to be more accurate, South London, has produced lists of banned languages, which includes he cut his eyes at me, which the Collins Dictionary says originates in the Caribbean and means to look rudely at a person and then turn away sharply while closing one's eyes dismissively. <laughs> now, when I was at school, there was a certain Caribbean lilt to some of the slang we used, mainly due to the fact that a lot of my school originated from South London. So words like wabla radi, uh, blood clot, brethren, youth, big up my days, these were all part of my boarding school slang vocabulary and so i was going around wearing like a cassock dressed as a priest effectively saying wablo brethren so yeah this was a boarding school in west sussex like 
the posh alternative to living in the nice parts of South London. It's a far cry from the origins of these words. So I got two questions. One for you, Nick. Did this feature up in the northeast as well? Like, did you have any sort of Jamaican or Caribbean slang words there? And Sandra, am I in danger of cultural appropriation? Uh, I wouldn't go with cultural appropriation here because that would mean that you make money out of it or like if the negative idea of cultural appropriation which is mm-hmm. not happening there there were some research projects a few years ago on uh, multicultural london english which looked at these things mm-hmm. not so much the words but more the uh, pronunciation and also discourse markers so in it obviously that's an old one but but that was used uh, more and more by um, the multicultural uh, youth there or something like this is me instead of i was like uh, was something that that came out of this research so instead mm-hmm. uh, people when they wanted to quote something they were like this is me oh my god or something and so nowadays we find uh, multicultural english in other urban areas as well so there's a huge project in uh, manchester and we find it in birmingham and um, i think mm-hmm. in glasgow to some extent as well so where we have lots of people with different uh, language backgrounds that's where they kind of create their own version of english um, but it's a version of English. It has structure mm. and it it makes sense. They can communicate. And that's always the most important thing about uh, language, right? They can communicate with, with each other, which is down to uh, structures. And so I'm really excited about everything new that comes <laughs> comes into the language. And I'm I'm planning to do some, some work in the East Midlands, actually, on the multicultural communities there. That's really interesting. It's good, it's good to know I can continue using them. I don't use them since I moved to Germany because nobody yes. would understand if I was like, blah, 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 blah. But I did always use it as an example when I was teaching about different types of English. I'd always write on the board, wabla radi, and get my German students to guess what it meant. And nobody ever got it, which is understandable. So Nick, to, to to come back to my question to you, did this also feature uh, in northeast slang at all or dialect? I mean, not 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 really, unless there was people from the south of England coming. Sorry, there is no multicultural community in Newcastle which could have initiated that. Sorry. No, no. It's, I mean, it's it's different. It's different. I mean, there is obviously there's a there's a lot of different influences, but it's not scale for a start. Like it's not the scale of say London, mm-hmm. definitely. You've obviously got different communities. You've got Chinese communities. You've got West Indian communities. You've got um, Lebanese, um, Italian. Like you can na- you name it, you'll find sort of variants on it. But I think you don't have the influence unless it's coming from people who've co- who've lived in those areas. So the only people I've ever heard using some of the slang you'd hear a lot in South London are people either from South London or people from sort of Jamaica or the West Indies who who already used that slang anyway and i think some people would use it but if we used it it would be sort of to take the piss like it wouldn't mm-hmm. be we're not going to say us looking at all the words there i mean there's some connections between the words like i was thinking about like no one's talking about going to their yard or anything like that you know uh, stormzy still talks about his yard his no ends. but i mean in newcastle like no one's oh, okay. if we used yeah. it we would be talking about like wet is a word that's used to mean like uncool 
and I was like, well, you would use that in Newcastle to talk about someone being soft. Yeah, like, oh, they're a bit mm. wet, like, but it wouldn't mean anything other than that. So I think the slang, the slang travels in the same way it would do with a lot of sort of white British people, where it's sort of through the BBC or exposure through like football or something. If someone said, "Oh my days," I'd be very surprised. I'd be more expecting them to say fucking hell man or something like that. <laughs> you would expect them to say like something quite Geordie that's mental that like that's what you'd hear that most people say they wouldn't say or like they would exclaim they'd be like ee ee can't believe that man I can't ee like that's what you'd hear you would never hear them sort of saying anything other than that but it's a very Geordie heavy episode this. <laughs> well let's bring it back to academia for a second because teachers say that these guidelines are to, to get pupils to use language that fits more in formal situations and helps them succeed. The school says the specific words and phrases on the list were selected because they were showing up in a lot of pupils' work and it stressed the importance of pupils expressing themselves clearly and accurately. Expressions that must not be used at the beginning of sentences include um, which we have had to train ourselves to not do as well on the podcast, because, no, like, say, you see, you know, and basically... I think if you listen to our back catalogue, you'll hear all of these a lot. Sandra and Nick, do you think these shifts will help pupils succeed? It'd help if we stopped saying like, because I have to cut out about 100, 124 per episode between the two of us just going like, like, ah, it's like, I had one sentence where I was like, there, did it there. I was like, and then like, and they said like, and then like they said like. But but like is such a nice word because you can have it basically in every position of the word, uh, of the sentence. So you can have it at the very beginning, you can, can have it as verb, you can have it as a noun, you can have it as adjective. It's It's a very, very flexible word. And Nick, you used it at the end of the sentence as kind of what we call discourse marker. Like is a beautiful word. It's just that uh, what I said about the power play, teachers are in power uh, and they can use their power to uh, marginalize certain groups. And that's what they're doing by banning words like this. I quite like, you know, you know, is quite a nice phrase. I always thought, like, you know what I mean? You know, that thing, you know. And it's sort of, I always, always found it quite nice. It depends, though, doesn't it? Like, if, if I had a boss or management going, you know, and then explaining something to me that I'm supposed to know or haven't been told but should have been told. But, but the problem, you know, right, so uh, this is half sarcastic, half accurate, but if, if, if the aim is to be global Britain, right, and to be sort of this global country, they're going to have to engage with English in different countries. And when you meet someone from India or China who might use any of these markers because they've watched television or for whatever reason, mm. maybe they just pick it up, you're already sort of stigmatizing them or you're already putting traits onto them that, that aren't really there. And I think that's the danger I'd find with sort of when you start controlling language in that way. I think I do get your argument that you need to be able to shift. I think that's a fair point. You need to be able to shift and in, in, in communicate in a certain way. But always get uncomfortable when people start saying, like, you can't say that or you can't say this. Or, like, there's certain settings where you can say certain things. We've talked about swearing, for instance. But mm. I think when it comes to just ordinary language as spoken, somebody starts with a sentence with because, I'm not losing my mind. We, we need to think about who is banning. So the, the teachers are usually middle class. And they're banning basically working class speech. So that's that's another thing. It's not only like other Englishes. It's the non-standard working class English, basically. That's 
that's banned here. But they legitimise it by saying, if you speak correctly, then you have better job prospects. You will go to a better university. It's sort of masked with this, you want to be like us, the middle class teachers, uh, if you want to be successful. Yeah. And from a linguistic point of view, there is no correct or incorrect or right and wrong. So it's more standard or non-standard. But um, the standard is something that only came into English in the 15th century. Beforehand, there was no standard. So it's not that that was the starting point and everything else derived from it. But it was just something that was chosen by chance. I mean, to be fair to the school, uh, none of the words or phrases listed are banned from general use in the school or when students are interacting socially. So it isn't a sort of strict policing of this. But this list is used in the formal learning settings to help students understand the importance of expressing themselves clearly and accurately, mainly through written language in examinations, because of course that is a key moment. And this intervention may reflect a widening gap between language that's accepted by examiners and used day-to-day by pupils in some areas of the UK. Of course, region dictates this. External examiners have noted the pupils nationwide using what they call unnecessarily rude and strident vocabulary in weaker answers. Bridging the gap between what is normal language for pupils and what's acceptable for exams is a challenge for teachers, for sure. And a survey in 2019 of 2,100 tutors found that slanglish was the most common reason for failing GCSE English. Of course, this is the exam you do when you're 16 years old in the UK, and this is a time where you are forming your own language outside of your parents, outside of uh, outside of the home, and it's about your new community. Uh, so this is certainly problematic. What's really problematic here is that most teachers and also the uh, examiners uh, usually don't have any linguistic training and don't understand the mm-hmm. dynamics um, between standard, non-standard. And we are trying to start um, things to, to make them aware of these differences. Um, so there are uh, teacher trainings on uh, language variation more and more now. And I'm starting that with my English teachers in Germany. So because my, my students have this idea that there is only the Queen's English and nothing else. Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny, though, that you've got like in Germany, you've got all these different rules with regard to how you speak hierarchically or how you speak um, to, to large groups. So you talk about like Hochdeutsch, people will often talk about Hochdeutsch. And which would be received pronunciation or like BBC English, as it was called in the in the past. But there's a, a clear rule there. There's no, there's, it's a class rule when it comes to received pronunciation. It's often considered posh. Like people will go, oh, he's really posh him if you heard him. Hello. Hi, there's Simon over there. I see him. <laughs> Gives a wave. Um, the, yeah, and so, and, and so you have, you, you have Hochdeutsch, but then you also have the rules within the rules where you've got the Sitzen and Dutzen, which is like actually even better than, because you know when you're speaking formally and you know when you're speaking informally and there's like a this is how you show respect structure which means that like almost it's like a mental shift that you could have that you wouldn't have in English necessarily where where there isn't a rule the formality rules are really hard to engage and the switch as well people like you when you say see to somebody and they then offer you the dutzen you don't and so you can say do if it's switched you you know you're in shit right it's like oh god he's saying see to me now what the fuck did I do (laughs) 
Whereas in English, like if I have to give bad news to Simon, I'd switch to formal. Oh, like, unfortunately, mate. Like, I'm afraid this has happened. I'm terribly sorry yeah, to report Yeah, I'm ter- that. I'm, st- I'm really sorry to tell you, mate. <laughs> I had a discussion last week about semi-formal. And I was like, oh, my God, it's incredibly complicated to explain formal and informal mm. in English. How the hell do you begin to explain to German students what semi-formal is? Isn't semi-formal just, hello, it's nice to meet you, you fucker? <laughs> yeah. All right, wankers, how are you all doing? Yeah, perhaps. Well, the the do and z is, um, I mean, I'm, I don't envy any uh, people who have to learn German as a second language. Danke because schön. do and z is mm. a... Is a tricky one, uh, and pragmatics as such is always a tricky one. Mm-hmm. So, but I would say it's that's on a different level than Hochdeutsch, um, because mm-hmm. the pragmatics is so you can express something very rude with um, very standard words, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. standard yeah. German is separate from that, and we don't have anything like received pronunciation. So my German is fairly close to standard because I grew up in an area where unfortunately hardly any uh, local dialect was uh, spoken anymore. But Mm. if you listen to Bavarian uh, politicians, they all sound Bavarian and they need to sound Mm -hmm. Bavarian because Mm. they are Bavarian. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, that's the case with Jacob Rees-Mogg's, for example. Well, I mean, the problem as well for the Bavarian politicians is they have to sound Bavarian here. But for like Söder, when he had a chance at maybe leading the chancellor, everyone was like, no, he's a Bavarian, <laughs> listen to him. Um, so it's like it serves him really well at home, but then destroys his chances on the national stage. It's a cruel twist of a dialect. I don't think it's um, down to the dialect, though. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, another, that's another topic. <laughs> Okay, we'll just bring it back to the article for we uh, article. Sorry, I mean looking <laughs> at it from stop. yeah, looking at it from the real world side. I mean, some of these phrases prohibited do actually have origins in in books and music as well. So, for example, he cut his eyes at me uh, is a phrase that has been used in popular teen novelist Lily Anderson as well as Richard Ford, the seventy-seven year old American writer. Oh my days appeared in lyrics by Stormzy. Uh, and even inspired a line in T-shirts after the footballer Jeremy Frimpong declared, all my days, best game ever, in a post-match TV interview after winning a trophy for Celtic against Rangers. So these are valid parts of our culture. I mean, there's there's a few phrases in there that seem entirely exactly what Sandra said, they're being picked on because they're, they're, they're used by communities that don't have a lot of power and I think that's quite obvious from there and I just find the, find the let's get rid of the word wow kind of insane I, I like the word bear here because um, we have something like that's de- dead cheap um, I don't know if you can have bear in that sentence but you know it's the same kind of function here it, it that is something that's where we get a lot of innovation um, for like very and extremely uh, where where we see how over the decades uh, words have come and gone. Now, listeners will know that Simon and I hail from very different parts of the UK in almost every metric. 
But as we have Sandra with us today, we thought we could have a quick look at the differences in slang and local dialects. For your listening pleasure, let's have a gander at some proper belter Geordie words before Simon gives us some southern nonsense. So let's start with the first <laughs> phrase very much connected with the northeast and certainly with Newcastle. A weird man. I mean, this is an icon, but I don't really understand. Is it just all right? Like, hello, my friend, is is that what it is? What is Hawaii Man News for? Well, it's a couple of things. So if I'm watching Newcastle play and I want them to do well, I'd be like, Hawaii Man, like, come on. But also, if you said something to us, maybe you ask us for something I didn't want to do, or you say something that's a bit weak, I might, might say, oh, Hawaii Man, come on. Like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. So it's also a way of admonishing people too. Come on would be pretty good. Because you'd use come on almost in the same way. You'd be like, come on, like for the team. And then you'd be like, oh, come on, what are you talking about? We need to clip this section and send it to the Saudi embassy. Because <laughs> uh, people are going to need training on this shit. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not draw my attention to, attention to myself. <laughs> okay, so number two, we've got why I, man. Pretty solid <laughs> phrase you're definitely going to see in Newcastle. Any questions? Yeah, loads. I don't know what it means. The same. Sandra, what do you think? No idea. All I can say is that man is a, a very Tyneside <laughs> d- discourse marker. I think it changes if you just say why I would yeah. be yes. It's almost dismissive in, in certain contexts. Did you end up getting the tickets to the match? Someone might say, why I, man? Like, of course. So not too mm-hmm. to a certain extent. But also you could use it when you put, as soon as you put man on the end of something, <clears throat> my wife hates it when I use man because I always use it when I'm complaining about something. But here, man, stop doing that. <laughs> and she'll be just like, stop calling it man. she get really pissed off at it. And I think that's reasonable because it's, it's obviously, but it's, it's, it's very jolly. It. Just tell her that. Is there a negative? <laughs> Can I be why no, man? Way, nah, I didn't. But way, way, way would nah. be on its own. Okay. You wouldn't have way, way, nah. Okay. I suppose you would. Actually, okay. yes, you would. I have heard that where someone would say, "Wait, nah, I didn't. I didn't get the tickets. I'm afraid." But I, I, you definitely hear "Why I" more than you hear "Wait, nah." You probably just hear mm-hmm. people saying "Nah." Are you optimistic people? Mm-hmm. Can-do attitude of the well, northeast. Yeah, yeah, we're just very optimistic. <laughs> That's all it is. Okay. <laughs> next up is canny. It's canny that like proper canny. Can you can you say that's a canny lad? Oh, you could say I uh, Simon. Yeah, he's a, he's probably probably canny. He's really canny lad, like. But then it becomes an intensifier. So you could say, ah, uh, mm. he's canny smart, like. He's he's canny smart, or he's canny rich. He's got a canny beard. Raining the compliments on me in this episode. This is lovely. More of this. You just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Bask in the adulation. Right. Next up on our adventure in Geordie is number four. Ganon Yem. Here, man. Going home? Yeah, going home, exactly. Ooh. I am going home. That's uh, very similar to what Cumbrians would say. Ganyam. And I'd read as well that apparently there was a lot of people under the illusion that Geordie was very much connected with Scandinavian or Norwegian-Danish Viking influences, but actually it's got more in common with proper Anglo-Saxon. I think that was the thing that I was... I was explained to me that it's more like Anglo-Saxon <laughs> than it is like Danish. Yeah, it, so a lot of people kind of draw on that. They are like, oh, we've got Viking blood or something. Um, Do you have Viking blood? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, but I said, don't ruin this illusion. <laughs> You'll never be back. Yeah. And I mean, there are... There are um, um place names show us that vikings were in the northeast so that's that's no doubt but um the influence is not as big as some people wish for yeah, so we've got the next one is number five i'm clamming i'm clamming me like properly clamming 
I don't know. Is that something like I'm cold or something? Was that something? No, okay. It's to be hungry. I've heard it used with being thirsty as well, but mostly like I'm, I'm pure clam and me. Like uh, next up, divinar. Like when I when I saw that, I was like, I, divinar. I, no idea. Yeah, divine. Divinar. Divinar. <laughs> divinar. What you talking about? So the na is a no, right? Uh, and the same sound in snow. So it's an older version of the pronunciation. Ah, interesting. Yeah, we're good. Gizitik. Yeah. Yeah, Gizitik. Give us a look. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, look. Deek is look. I, I, no, I, I thought it was like cigarette or something. Giz, nah, that would be tab. Gizitab. Yeah, man. Gizitab. I, like, I, I got in loads of trouble in, in Scotland because people thought I was asking about acid. <laughs> I was like, do you know where I can get some tabs? People would be like, no, no, we definitely don't know where you can get tabs. Same in Cumbria, by the way. Deek is mm. uh, something we find there as well. Okay. And last but not least, Hadawir, man. Isn't Hadaw- are they the band that did What Is Love? <laughs> Is that <laughs> it's just everyone yeah, be like, play are. that song, Hadaway, man. I think no. <laughs> what is love? <laughs> Get Hadaway on, man. <laughs> no, it's to go away. It also means I don't believe you. Well, thanks for that, Nick. That's really. A, I, I have genuinely learned things. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have as well. Like, yeah, it's a lot of lot, lot to learn. So there we go, good listeners. You are now ready for that trip to the northeast. We're moving on, but staying on the theme. We are an English language podcast, and I just thought I'd say it to reassure the good listeners that who are thinking like, "What the holy fuck is this guy talking about?" That is English. We promise. Fear not, though, brave listeners for persevering at this point. I'm here, and I'll be talking to you in an English that at least resembles the English you learnt in school or here on British TV. For your listening pleasure, a Southern English slang quiz for Nick and Sandra to do, and for you to play at home as well. So, question one: If I were to say a it what does that mean yeah like so if you've said something controversial and i'm like it's okay to have said that like yeah. i'll allow it almost yeah you, so it does have that, that connection for sure but it isn't about permission uh, in the same sense of i will allow it let it slide it's all good don't worry allow it man uh stop talking as well allow it <laughs> it's quite versatile <laughs> That's counterintuitive, <laughs> isn't it? Oh man, like, allow it. Allow it. What? <laughs> okay, number two. If you are being bait, what does that mean? Going back to the Geordie thing, bait is food. They're not fishing here, no. So if I see, you see that man walking the street, he is properly bait. If you're being bait, you're being suspicious, easily spotted. So like undercover policemen are bait. Like they're wearing smart brown shoes, pressed Levi's, collared shirt, bomber jacket. Bait. <laughs> okay this one we've already talked about so it's an easy one it's a gimme if we have bare time do we have a lot or a little uh uh, a lot it is a lot we have bare time number four if i were to chirps someone what would i be doing chirps 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 to chirps is to flirt with someone to approach someone in in a romantic way. So he'd be like, um, yeah, he was chirping me all night. I like chirping, I guess. I mean, it's 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 a it's a sad <laughs> indictment of someone's chat-up skills if you're talking about them chirping at you. Oh, he's pure chirps and that is. Doesn't sound like it's going well. <laughs> well, I mean, you have people that are a chirpser as well. You can be a chirpser. That means you're good at chirpsing. <laughs> okay, so what are your ends? I'm not telling you, none of your business. How dare you ask? We've got a guest on here, Simon. This is disgraceful. <laughs> is that relatives? It's not relatives, no. But it is connected to that concept. Friends. Closer with family. Where do your family live? Your ends are your home. Like, it's your neighbourhood. Where you're from. So, come down my ends. 
means I come to my neighborhood. In German, we could say that um, er kommt von meinem Ende der Straße or something. Mm -hmm. Number six, I need new garments. Where should I get them? Garments? Is that the origin? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> straight to Marks and Spencers. Yeah, that's the first place that people are thinking of when they think of garments. <laughs> like, I need to go to Marks and Spencers now. My ends has the best MS prof. <laughs> Number seven. What should I do to get hench? Hench like Judy Dench. If you're gonna get hench, you've gotta you've gotta go at the gym on a regular basis oh. and lift lots of weights. Yeah. Get the muckies working. Hench is very, very muscular. Number eight, if I jacked your car... Oh, this has got to be quite common. Like, Grand Theft Auto has made this a very common terminology. Is it mm -hmm. to steal a car? It is. Now, of course, jack a car as a verb in sort of traditional British yeah. would be lifting it off the ground for the, to service it. <laughs> your car's been jacked. Oh, great, thanks. I needed an oil change. Yeah, you jacked your jack and then jacked your car. Yeah. Number nine, Dean rinsed all the soap. How should I feel about Dean? He rinsed it. I'm, I'm really happy because I didn't want to do the washing up. Uh, to rinse something is to use all of it. I rinsed all my money. I rinsed all my food. I rinsed all my soap. And finally, I feel shook. How do I feel? I feel shook. I'm like sort of scared. Scared, I mean, it could be. Uh, perturbed. Yeah, to, to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. <laughs> Man's is properly perturbed, bruv. <laughs> I'm properly perturbed. So there you go, good listeners. You have now been indoctrinated into Geordie and a bit of South London as well. You promised in your introduction that you were going to speak English, but I feel like you've, you definitely, as the <laughs> list went on, became less and less, less and less speaking English and more and more like my list of Geordie words. So I feel like I've been shortchanged. <laughs> History of the podcast, bruv. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Hello, Freunde. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes, which only takes a minute and can really help us. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag DecadesFromHome, all lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at DecadesFromHome. You can tweet me at 40%German. You can also get us on 40%German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40%German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Tschüss! Okay, so um, I'm going to fuck up this paragraph a couple of times and then eventually we'll get it and then we'll continue the conversation, Sandra, just so buckle in, enjoy. Uh... I'm sorry for my um, variety of brain farts that I've been having. I'll try and improve as the podcast progresses. By the end, I'll be amazing. Yeah, can you move to like cocktail Fridays instead of cocktail Saturdays? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I, 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 I really should just calm problem. it down, but I can't help it. Okay. It's because I had three of them. If I'd had two of them, I would have been fine. It was the three, the third one. I, even I knew, I was like, this is taking the piss. <laughs> Whoop-de-doo, what are you going to do? Do you do you know that saying? Oh, der Dritte war schlecht. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, th the third one's yeah. the worst. Yeah, uh, yeah. It was very much that scenario. <laughs> True fact. Um, okay, um, let's talk about yeah. okay. Um, language and shit.